0: This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hello, everyone. I'm Deborah Lindner. We all know our state of Utah is becoming more and more diverse. That's not a big surprise to any of us. But did you know that more than sixty-one thousand Utahns identify as biracial or multiracial? It's true, and we see it reflected in the makeup of all families, including our foster families. I'm joined today by my co-host Liz Rivera. Liz is director of education at Utah Foster Care. Liz, we've certainly seen more and more children in foster care who identify with more than one race. Absolutely.
1: And generally, foster care reflects the demographics of the state. However, we do know that children of color, families of color, are more likely to be involved with the child welfare system. And so we often will see overrepresentation of children of color, including children who identify as biracial or multi-ethnic backgrounds in foster care.
0: You're right, Liz. And half of those 61,000 Utahns are under the age of 18. So our guest today offers some guidance on helping you as a parent support children and adolescents through their racial identity journey, which can be quite complicated, frankly, I want to introduce Stephanie Draper and Bree Ray. They represent Raising Me, a group that seeks to create a safe space for parents to learn and ask questions about raising a child of a different race. Welcome to both of you. Hi, thank you so much for having
2: us. We're so happy to be here with you today
0: and to talk about this important topic. Why did the two of you create Raising Me and what do you help to accomplish? I think if we were to talk about how we started Raising Me, we have to start from the beginning
2: of how me and Drew Ray even became associated as friends and business partners. I felt like in Utah, there was not enough diversity being represented in media. So I decided to start getting a group of women together to do a photo shoot. The photo shoot was to empower and ignite an environment where we can be open to talk about things that we experience as multicultural women, especially black women. So what started as a photo shoot for a group of women to come and unite as one, and we were able to connect on such a deep level and be able to understand like the discrimination and the microaggressions that we experience, it became something a lot bigger than me and Brie Ray Bull. So I had this idea to create a motivation woman and be a spokesman for female of color brie ray has helped me on that journey for years now we came together and we created an organization which was formerly known as Project black girl now called raising me and we're able to help transracial families get the resources they need to be able to build uh, a family that is united not only through foster care and adoption but also diversity and identity and culture
3: as well. I would add to that something that was really powerful with the photo shoots that Stephanie was organizing when we initially met was I was born and raised in Utah, and I had never even been in a room or situation. That many women who looked like me and represented so many different parts of me that I had yet to really identify with. I think the first photo shoot we did, I was like 18. And so that was 18 years of my life that I did not have that connection to myself. That was really a very inspirational point for me in my life. I think for Stephanie as well. And so when we connected a few years later, again, on the same topic, doing kind of the same movement work, it became very clear and very apparent that we were not the only two experiencing these issues and this lack of identity, or lack of a better word. The point of Raising Me is essentially to create the resources, education, and community opportunities for parents and children who are being raised in predominantly white areas to have what they need to better identify with themselves.
1: I love how you said that I hadn't really identified with myself because you hadn't identified with others. I think that's something we always need to think about is that we, we are not really individuals. We really are parts of community. And when that community gets cut off, there's a part of us that gets cut off or maybe doesn't develop the same or as well. Thank you. I'm interested, too, in the focus on women and the intersectionality of race and ethnicity and culture and identity and, and being female. Can you talk a little bit more about how that piece became a part of your focus?
2: I'm a female. I am African-American and Asian. I'm Vietnamese. My story's a little different. My family's immigrated here from Vietnam. Both of my parents are half Black, half Vietnamese. They came here and they met each other in the U.S., yeah? When I was being raised, obviously, I was raised in a very Vietnamese-centered home because that's where my mom and dad were raised. That's where my grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles were from. But because they were also mixed-race, it was very evident in our family that we talked about what the other half was and that you were a Black American female. That was taught to me at a very young age that I was two race. I was identified as two race. I lived with my biological family until I was 15 years old. And then we were put in the foster system after some hardships with trying to figure out where we were going to land, because originally they tried to get you to stay within the family before they even reached out to any other people It just didn't work that way for our family, not with effort, I don't think, but it didn't work that way. And we ended up being placed into a woman's home named Michelle Lake, who actually took classes from Liz. So that's how me and Liz are connected, was because my adopted mom was able to take her training from Liz. So we were placed with Michelle, and after a year was adopted into that family. Because I was raised in such a home that was so strong of. You're a female. I was raised by a single mom. My biological mom was a single mom. I was raised in a home that was very female oriented. And I was told who I was told I was African American and I was told I was Vietnamese. Then I was put into a place where I was all of a sudden at 16, 17, 18, where my now mom was a Caucasian lady raised in small town Utah. And she had to navigate all these things. She had to navigate not only being a new mom and like emotional support, mental support, educational support, but the part that she felt like was missing was cultural and racial identity that she didn't understand. Luckily for us, ours was an open adoption. So she definitely got support from our family to be able to bring in that culture that was already in me at 15 years old. But still it was a struggle for her to figure it out. I think watching her struggle, And then being placed in an environment, in a school system that was just so predominantly white and the way they taught about African-Americans, the way they taught about Asian culture, just in general, just culture or any race, I felt like there was a lack of connection. I felt very lost in the narrative of things. I felt like there was a loss of narrative as a female and as a woman of color because I was exposed to, you know, the art industry uh, very early on, I realized I have a voice here and my voice is very strong and I need to use this for good, especially for those who are underrepresented. And so being a woman of color, I decided to start these amazing photos to put this, but I don't think I would have been able to take the next step without Breway, with her envision. Just that journey for me, like, I think it so innately instilled in me who I am as a person and not only who I am as a person, but who I can be because I'm a
0: woman of color and a female. First of all, kudos to your adoptive mother. Way to go. Yeah. Sounds like she really, she just jumped into this with both feet. I think a lot of foster and adoptive parents are quite frankly, afraid to even talk about it because they're afraid they're going to say something wrong. What would be your advice to just starting out the first step? I think that's a really valid fear, especially now. There's a lot of pressure to do
3: everything correctly right off the bat, and it just is not realistic. Honestly, we need to create a safe space for people to be able to come and learn and to be able to make those mistakes and be gently corrected and guided. So I think a great place to start is to just give yourself enough grace to start and to take the first step into that journey. And there's resources, there's books, there's all of these things that you can dive into But until you are in a good place with yourself and willing to take that step and take the risks. As a parent of multicultural or interracial child, I strongly suggest you get there quickly. (laughs) But the first step really is just to dive in. It really is. And that is the hardest step, but that's the best place to start.
2: On top of what Brie Ray said, I know as a foster parent, you have to take 30 hours of training. Take cultural and racial identity as one of those trainings. For the fact that you are going to be taking on a child of a different race, take the importance with learning about emotional health, learning about mental health, all those things, and take Take racial and cultural identity as serious. And I promise you, with every foster family I know and every child that I interact with, one of the hugest trauma triggers when it's not talked about in the family. So what I would think is the first place to start is to ask hard questions when you're in your training process in foster care and figure out how do I bridge the gap for these families who are taking on different race and culture. And gradually integrate it into your family with other resources. Obviously, we're going to promote Raising Me because we do provide those resources. Representation, either that is in books, in dolls, in communities. That's a huge deal. As well as education and knowledge are key for parents to learn for their child. Because when they have knowledge, they can advocate for their children. They can advocate for their children in school systems. They can advocate for their children in a very strong church community. They can advocate for their children in
3: every aspect of their life. Something that I feel is important to understand is you do not have to know everything in order to be an ally for your child. The most important piece is that you have your child's back and they feel that you're in their corner. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know about all historical or generational trauma. You don't need to understand everything that they may experience in order to be an ally for them and to back them up. So I think learning how to be an ally and how to advocate for a child is probably the most important step. We're having an event November 19th because it is National Adoption Day. We thought that this would be a perfect day. We partnered with the Utah Diversity and Culture Center. The event is open to foster and adopted interracial families. We're hoping to bridge a gap when it comes to racial identity between parents and children. We are in partnership with the Black Cultural Center at University of Utah and we're very excited. It's going to be, you could say, like a culture camp. We will have keynote speakers for the parents to come and learn and then a panel of individuals who have been raised in ways and, and in places like Stephanie to talk about the journey to our racial identities, our racial competence, and our growth as individuals in general, and then open up for a Q&A with the parents. While the children will be interacting with peers that look like them and doing identity building activities, we will have a multicultural marketplace for attendees to experience and support locally owned businesses that are owned by a diverse group
1: of people. So. It'll be a wonderful event. We're very excited. That sounds fabulous. And we'll make sure that we have all that information on the podcast page. Plus, we'll be pushing out that information to the foster parents through all the communication we have with them because we definitely want them to be involved in that because it sounds wonderful.
2: Thank you. I'm going to speak for my mom because I know she's going to listen in a little while. Shout out to my mom, my adoptive mom, Michelle Blake, for taking the initiative to be the mom. Even though it took her 10 years, like Brie Ray says, it takes time. But it took her 10 years to finally get a basis of what she needs to do. And I applaud her every step of the way for being that great mom. And I promise everyone that takes the initiative to come to this event will feel that empowerment and be able to be in a safe space. And that's what we hope is, please, all amazing humans who are adopting um, or even fostering, please come to this event for your kids as well as for yourself.
1: You mentioned, Stephanie, that the schools could have been more aware of what the needs of the children of color are. And I'm wondering about inviting community members like teachers and other people who work with kids outside of the family.
2: Yes. Yes, please. Teachers are teachers' advocates as well as your parents, any religious leaders. I think it's so important, especially in this day and age, how much we have to be educated, especially because Utah is growing with diversity. And so we as people are responsible to grow as well in it to help people feel united. I think humanly made enough to take on that responsibility. And so yes, teachers come.
0: (laughs) And I would say to parents, even if you don't have children that are multiracial, teaching your bio kids on how to navigate this is also important. Would you welcome some of these biological children to come to your conference? Yes,
2: we definitely would say come. These are very educational. Even if it's a parent who has a ton of biological kids who are just fostering, or even just kids or parents who have biological kids who are Thinking about it, but not sure. It's open to the community. Obviously, we want to focus on foster families and adoptive families and people who are exposed to this environment. But it is also open to biological parents as well to learn how to teach these things in their home. The point of Raising Me is teaching racial and identity in the home.
1: So we are getting close to our end of time, which is always heartbreaking because we're barely scratching the surface of the things you guys are talking about. Any final words you want to make sure that a parent who's just been introduced into this world, like Michelle, just maybe some words of of encouragement and advice.
2: Advice that I would give to parents is that a journey of a parent is so hard already. So give yourself room to grow, like Ray said, and like where you're at right now, it's okay. Take time to just breathe and just know, okay, I know this is my responsibility and I'm going to take little steps, and those steps are going to be steps that is going to be perfect for our family so that's my advice for parents who are adopting outside of their race just know you're doing great you're already doing amazing you're already taking in a child that's amazing Applauds to you and so please feel that you are doing enough but you're also capable enough to dive into this
0: even when it's scary wonderful, wonderful advice from both of you. We did lose Brie Ray, but we want to have a shout out to her for joining us today. Thank you to both Brie Ray and Stephanie Draper. They are our guests from Raising Me, which is a group that helps families support their multiracial children. We will include more information on our podcast page about Raising Me and about the upcoming Raising Identity Conference. That sounds so exciting. Put that on your calendars right now. A reminder to anybody who's a licensed foster parent in Utah, you can get in-service credit for listening to this podcast. So don't miss out on that chance. We appreciate your input, we appreciate your comments, your ideas, your likes, any ideas you have on future topics. I wanna thank Liz Rivera, my co-host, Education Director at Utah Foster Care. Thanks also to our producer, Marshall Shearer, who is also one of our foster parents. But most of all, thank you to all of the foster parents out there who are caring for children in foster care. They need you. So long, everybody. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.